Twenty years have passed since a tragic fire at an illegal rave killed over a hundred people outside Austin, Texas. But is that all that happened on the night in question? Experience the horror of Vampire the Masquerade like never before. Jackalope LARP and White Wolf present a blockbuster LARP horror event. The Night in Question, November 17th, 2018, Austin, Texas. Jackalope-LARP.com for tickets and information. Where will you be on the Night in Question? This is 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade, a retrospective podcast brought to you by UtilityMuffinLabs.com. Welcome to another episode of 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade. My name is Nathan. And I'm Bob. And today we are going to be reviewing the city book Cairo by Night. And uh, it's a pretty, it's kind of overwhelming, wouldn't you say? It's more than overwhelming. I mean, multicultural, both mortal and historically. It's the oldest by night book they've done uh, like, in like, terms like, of yeah, this, history. Right, like like the oldest city. Like it's a, right. it, it's a city that's got 5,000 years of history. Like, you know, <laughs> no bullshit. It's, <laughs> it's a it deep runs deep. Right, right, of course. Um, but uh, we wanted to take a little, I want to take a moment and... Uh, um, get Bob's response to a question. Um, both of us have already answered this on Facebook, but I felt like it was a good enough question to, um, to present to all of our listeners uh, so that they can get a feel and an understanding as well. Um, so I'll just get right down to it. Today's question was brought to us by Ian Hogan, Ian C.H. Hogan, from Facebook on our Utility Muffin Labs Facebook page. And Ian says, howdy, brothers. Let's talk about the verisimilitude of realism in Vampire the Masquerade. Personally, I aim for a suspension of disbelief by the PCs, and so I rarely rely on explanations. It's magic. For example, the eyes of a Semeti. It says under their bloodline description that they are consistently losing flesh, or constantly losing flesh. So what happens when their eyes fall out? Can they still see? Do they eventually become a skeleton? If so, how do they feed? Does the blood just absorb right into their bones? Stuff like that. It's easy to say, yeah, it's magic, kid, don't fret. But it could be a place to add additional game mechanics like spending blood points to heal essential parts of the body as they rot off, etc. What do you all think? So, um, we both answered this already, but um, I think uh, my perspective on the situation is if you're saying, and it, when you're running a game, if you're just sort of giving a blanket statement, like it's magic, that's just what happens. And I think I speak for Bob here too. You're kind of losing sight of what storytelling is, right? There should never just be, well, that's the dice roll, right? You can't do that, right? When you think about it, when you say something like, well, that's just the magic kid. I like that phrasing because that's beer and pretzels gaming, right? Right. That's when that's allowed. When you guys just make characters to sit down and you're going to take on Loden and the Chicago by night book as is. And a storyteller doesn't really have a plot. He's just refereeing how you would go about it. That's beer and pretzel gaming. And that's, that's okay. You right. can do that, but it's a storytelling game. Right. We said this a million times designed for personal horror. If I don't explain the whys or allow you to explore the mystery around your own flesh, I'm doing a disservice and I need to dig deep. Now, if you want official White Wolf answers and responses, they've talked about this at length, conferences, questions, that gets asked to them 
on a fairly regular. I was witness to, to one Gen Con where we actually heard a question like that, you know, but it, it was targeting, you know, different types of bullets actually affecting canine flesh. Right. And they said, by and large, it's the curse. Right. 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 The curse keeps you frozen to the moment of death when you became a vampire. Every night, your body seeks to go back to its original state when it started. So by that logic, that means that if I am the Semeti, if I was embraced and after the curse set in, that's the horrific continence I had, that's what I will keep for all time. Right, right. And every night when you go to sleep, you know, you may be more putrefied, more decayed, uh, you know, more more rotten on the outside, but it's it's not something you just rot away right it's right. it's a constant cycle of of regeneration and and uh degeneration uh you know rotting and and rejuvenating um so you know you're not ever going to be a puddle of eyeball soup but that's the point right the point is to look beyond just the statistical uh maneuvering of a game my my goal uh, the way that I move forward with with storytelling games is I look to find opportunities where I can avoid adding additional dice rolls and add additional game mechanics. I don't think game mechanics do anything to improve the experience of a storytelling game. And I'll articulate. And we've articulated this a number of times, but this game is about the story. It's about telling the story and the mechanics exist to help to guide you through that story when just a general conversation or a general description can't get you through, right? Storytelling tools, if I can make that make sense. Right. We, you know, everybody wants that fair shot that their character can win any given Sunday. However, there is something to the fact that when you do that sort of mentality, that it's possible your character's going to get blown away by that elder you shouldn't fight anyway. Right. And does dice rolls matter at that point? And in, in our opinion, they don't. Like, right. I could let you pick up your three dice and roll to get a shot in hell against somebody who has an eight dice pool, but we can do the math. And the fact is, is that when you do roll those dice, it's because it is an RPG and people do enjoy doing that. However, I implore the storyteller, and, and I know Nate does this, I, I absolutely do this, I implore you to instead be narrative. Right. To describe this combat, you know, they may get to roll dice. I mean, in other words, meet in the middle. You may get to roll your three dice and only get one success, but I will describe how hopelessly it is that you're swinging against somebody of such skill and age, how childlike or infantile you seem and trying to step to them in something they dominate in, right, in right. terms of a combat. Right. And that hammers home to the player without you having to further roll dice, that urge they may have to just up and keep going. It's basically, I like to imagine this analogy. It's, it's the cub, it's the lion cub nipping at dad's nose in the middle of a hot day, right? right? You're in the desert chilling, you're nipping at the nose in that combat. And the warning is, is that when he turns and, and ups, his, ups his lips to give a snarl, that's the warning. If you persist, he may do worse. And that's kind of what you do narratively there. And it's a, it's a hint. And it helps the player, though, to understand, in no way are we saying, do not play your character. If that's playing your character would be to go at that, then the storyteller should be able to narrate that feel right. to where we don't see the die rolls as being an impact. Right. And and sometimes I would say after like a very difficult struggle, you know, maybe a, a long drawn out argument or, you know, a, many game sessions of of the players being on the the short end of the stick, it's definitely appropriate to give that that enjoyable release of a couple of dice rolls, right? Let's get that combat out of the way. Let's give them the pleasure of success, right? But also, 
all of those little keys, those little factors, those little things like the curse that your clan or your bloodline suffers from, or your path or your rituals that you perform for your sect, those are all parts, uh, those are all for you as a storyteller to paint a richer picture. They're definitely not intended to add more dice rolls, right? That's the thing that is the most important key about this game and other storytelling games is that differentiation between dice rolling games, games that are, you know, even like Shadowrun is a game that I fully enjoy and I've always used my storytelling ability to try to make that more of a story-based game. But even that game is more like, we're, we're the Shadowrunners, we're going to go out and fuck shit up. We got to roll dice. This game, it should be the opposite. It should be the dice are used only in the extreme. And that way you're telling a, a you're telling a horror story, right? All these no. games. Go ahead, Bob. No, I was just, I just want to point out, cause like I could hear everybody like, like screaming in the mic. Like we often think it's, <laughs> it's a big other shoe, right? This is a role playing game. R O L L. Yes, it is. Right. But the dice determine dramatic systems, right? Right. If you look in a book, they tell you it's a dramatic system. It serves a function right. to determine the outcome of something. So the storyteller isn't biased. Right. Of course. Right. If you would do well, they have to then tell the narrative well. And that's what we're saying. Yes, you will use dice. They should not be a mechanic that bogs you down. Right. How this ties into the original question is that you mentioned it's a, its ability to, to impact the game. That is one, right? Because the, the situation you described with the Semeti, they made a flaw to, ad- to address that. If you want to be a Semeti that will eternally rot for some other reason, then they have flesh of the corpse, right? It's right. a great flaw. You don't necessarily eternally rot, but you hold the damages uh, of uh, putrefaction as long as you have it. Right. Right. It's until heal is going to be there, and then it leaves scarring. And that's if you want to go through the droopy eye hellish existence. But that should be, again, a leverage point for that player to role play out the dramatics of right. it. That's what it's for, all to the acting. Right. And, you know, and also think about it like this. If instead of like adding dice rolls or making them blow more blood, if you described like pieces of them falling off and you assigned, maybe you assigned higher difficulties or you just described how it was more difficult for them to walk through things or... You know, when their eye fell out, you know, you attributed like some different type of sight, some, you know, you tell a story, you make their experience as this decaying, rotting thing, a much more interesting tale than just like, oh, yeah, he smells bad and his skin falls off. You know, like it's it's those things that I think those are the easiest and most common mistakes for storytellers and players you know, to make when, when they just go, ah, this thing just falls off his nose, his nose just fell off. Like tell a story with that. This discussion has given me a marvelous idea. You can add to it though. Like if your storyteller wants to go the direction that they keep drooping and dripping, then assign a mechanic to your Semeti in your game. I may start, uh, where, uh, maybe, maybe not. I'm kind of vanilla, but I do like the <laughs> idea of as they're drooping and the eye parts are failing and the parts are falling off, they have to devour it from their victim. Right. Not only drink the blood, they have to then eat that organ, but the trick, the victim has to live. That's that's crazy. That's crazy good. I I like that idea. So I I think at the end of the day, and and this is the truth that all participants in World of Darkness games, of storytelling games, should take away. As long as you're focused on telling a richer, more vibrant story, you should never encounter, it's just magic, dude. Like, that's just the way it is, kid. You shouldn't. Because you should be able to tell that story. And and that's the that's like the hump we all have to get over, right? We have to be able to take our ability to maybe sit down and write a story out. And we need to be able to verbalize that. And 
tell it in a way that it no longer seems like we're running a game. It no longer seems like we're rolling a dice-based game. But that's to say, whatever works for your game, that's what you should do. If your friends want that game, you're not wrong. 100%. That's the game you should play. Just, you know, from, from the perspective of what a storytelling game is, try to keep it in context of a story. Speaking of deep, involved, crazy, uh, lots and lots of detail stories, Cairo by Night. <laughs> yeah. So. <laughs> this, I mean, it's almost hard to even start. Right, right. Uh, on where to begin with this, because I don't know if you got this feel. It felt like I was literally researching actual points of history that they blended together that actually, you know, that occurred and right. the different eras that they go through. Because in some books, you got the feel that we went back to ancient to tell the Middle Ages to get to the modern. Right. This one, it's like the first quarter of the book is just getting through the ancient to the to the to the Dark Ages. Right. Like it was, it was just to get that far. Well, yeah, and I mean, so this book, this is a release from two thousand and one. So a couple of things that we can get out of the way real quick, just for everybody who's going to ask or everybody who who's wondered. The book is from 2001, and there's a ton of stuff that's happened, you know, globally um, centered around this area that it's not going to be addressed in this book, right? Because it just, it's, this book came out before it happened. So we're not going to touch on any of that because it's not, it doesn't pertain to what this book is. So what this book is, is it's essentially 5,000 years of vampiric history all in one location. It is like the oldest continuous civilization I, I won't i won't say like in the world but as far as like any world of darkness vampire the masquerade book is concerned like there we're talking i, I feel you're safe in that <laughs> i feel you're safe in that i mean right. that's it says a lot i mean we've researched all up to this point right in terms of reviewing no other city by night book so far mm-hmm. as has touched on the ancient aspects of all that it goes through i mean cairo serves as like the mother city Right. You know, what was that phrasing they used in the book? No matter where you are in the Middle East and Eastern Hemisphere over there, it always comes back to Cairo. Yeah, everything comes back to Cairo. And that's and that's the effect, you know, along the Nile, 70 million populace in certain sections. I mean, it's it's an impressively large city supported by satellite settlements. Yeah. That, that go throughout it. And I mean, what do we have? We have the uh, well, this isn't the mortal half, but I love discussing the vampiric half more than often not, so we don't sound like talking heads here. Right. Uh, but you have people that are that survived the the Mamluks uh, when they were there, and uh, those are the guys who were descendant slaves who ended up ruling um, Syria, right? And Egypt, what is it, twelve fifty to fifteen seventeen or something like that, if yeah. uh, memory serves. Uh, you know, the mil- military casting on them in Egypt basically right. uh, came through and stomped them out. But there are surviving members right. that are here and represent the city still, and they feel they have ownership in parts. So does the Fatimid Caliphate. You know, Islamic uh, Caliphate, it's a huge area, right? Including North Africa to the Red Sea, really. And uh, that's in parts of land, all that fun stuff. Reading that painted this huge picture, right? That no matter who took over this area of Cairo, there were still ancient Egyptians. I don't want to let that go. Right. It didn't matter if you were the Frankish trying to stomp over and make it another crusade or what, you know, mom like Muslim. It didn't matter who was ruling what. Point is, them ancient Egyptians were still there. Just going, you're going to be here. We can't stop you. We have our way of life. And they never got rid of them. You know, they were there. That's that. Well, this this creates a cosmopolitan, doesn't it? Yeah, it creates a huge one. And I love this analogy. 
Like this city flat out says that not typical in your normal cities. The prince isn't a mere figurehead. He's powerful into his own right. However, he's nothing compared to the advisors that are in the city. Right. His age is a drop in the bucket to the people who have been here before him. Right. And, and, and that's, that's, that's like the one, the one theme that you're going to find. There's a couple of them, but the one thing that you're going to find, which is consistent about this book, this is how I felt reading through it. One, there is truly ancient power here. There, there are, there are entities that have been around since like the millennia, you know, literally thousands of years. And it's, it's a vast, massive metropolis. And politically, it's going to be unlike any other game that you're used to running. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you agree? There's so many different factions that aren't, they're not even talked about in other books or other like, you know, vampiric factions because they are incredibly unique to this region, you know, whether it's Cairo itself or, you know, the Middle East or Africa, they're unique to this location there. So this game is not your typical, uh, daddy's vampire, the masquerade game. It's, it's very different, but I know, I know that uh, us saying different alone ain't going to cut it. So I I got some points here, right? right? Um, it's they don't, they're not called primogen. Now, their function is served similar to the primogen you're used to hearing about. Right. But they prefer to be called the consultative council. And that's a term coined by Mukhtar Bey, the prince in Cairo, because he doesn't want to insult them. The consultative council is the, high, the oldest ranking members uh, from these dynasties uh, that exist via heritage in certain parts of the city. And they call those regions that those guys are from uh, the Qatas. And a Qatar is basically... If you come to Cairo, instead of you getting uh, having to wait to get acknowledged by Prince Mukhtar Bey, because it's dominantly uh, Camarilla, right. and it's because they like that structure. Why they like that structure is the consultative councils, uh, Kita, where they're from, if they can prove your lineage, you are automatically acknowledged in the city right. because your ancestors have demands. They have rulership here, and they, and they own this part, and that's theirs. Right. And Mukhtar acknowledged it. He had to. Because there's two otherwise welcome to more war. Right. We're, we're talking again. It's uh, important to note. This is a city with easily 200 vampires, right? Easily. And, and how this area is divided up into these, these like uh, heritage, like, like uh, land, like plots of land. What Bob was talking about is there are, they're going to be like bloodlines and not necessarily like bloodlines, like vampiric bloodlines, like the Samedi we were talking about or anything like that. No, th- like these are bloodlines that go back centuries. These are like m- maybe mortal heritage or heritage exactly. from a religious perspective. And you, you are entitled to, but also potentially required to be in certain areas, right? Like that's your, your heritage affords you that and it's all over the city and so you have this one guy who has to rule over all of these hundreds of vampires and wade through all these different political allegiances and and ideologies and religions and it's just it's it is uh it's an intense book (laughs) and when you think about it too this is how powerful that one guy is before you think oh he's a paper tiger it's cool you want to say that this is the guy that Camarilla has to had they had they were forced to acknowledge as prince of this area. Right. They they couldn't war with this guy. Right. Not only was it only too far away and there was too many enemies in between, this guy was too savvy in politics and his own personal power to get rid of. 
they had tried and it doesn't it doesn't happen Mukhtar is there and he's there to stay right but he's diplomatic incredibly so and he has to be right we just described how he lives and rules where he's at and it's it's one of negotiation and what's cool about this city too is that the clanless the Katif, they're welcomed here with open arms well and i think it bears mention as to uh why right (laughs) at least to a degree right we won't give spoilers away because there is story right this book is is incredibly deeply entrenched in the end times it is it is the city book that was released for gehenna right it's it's not it's not uh you know gehenna isn't happening but these are the final nights so there's a great deal of plot associated with that but one of the interesting and uh definitely off kilter things about this is that your your very powerful prince is a caitiff straight up that's and that's why your clanless are accepted there with open arms and those of you who read this book will know there's other reasons too but we won't give that one away and what's cool about it is that you know saying he's a caitiff and that they're all are welcome um that adds to their strength that is a political power maneuver Right. If anything, because by bringing in a bunch of Kadif and giving them land to call their own and accepting them as such, you're also adding their strength to your own for just in case, you know, someone wants to come in and say, no, you have disposable people to right. do it. Who else did that? The Sabbat. Right. They called them Pander, gave them a home, hyped up the propaganda and did the same thing for the same reason. And in this, you can see the Jihad as is, as it's called. Now, about that title Jihad as well. This is an awesome book because it goes into describing the three uh, Muslim canines that came about the term jihad. And these guys were known, referred to as the Ashira. And, and it's that simple. They, they, got, they got embraced and they decided to relate uh, immortality to their own faith to make it digestible of what they've become. And they start talking about the jihad and, you know, basically attaching reason to whatever it is they're going to try to usurp rulership over the undead because there are certain undead that are just unclean. Right. Right. And we know this. We're not. We're not here to. We're completely biased to you know race, creed, color, religion here at UML. And this book is too. It's just highlighting the fact that there is extremists on all sides, and we can say the Ashir definitely are. I mean, they they refer to the first jihad as how they see what the ancients did back when it was the land of the gods. Right. And that's also cool about this book. We get sort of our own version of the book of Nod from the oldest of cities. Right. From a chronicler who's there, who quite possibly may even have been there. Right. And, and you know, you know, they they're also they're pretty no bullshit about letting you know that, like, this is this is kind of the city that set fought for. Right. They don't they don't make any bones about the fact that set like straight straight up comes from Cairo. Right. Like yep. or, or or has struggled um, and, and doesn't seem to be around now, but struggled for, you know, however long to to take this place you know and again we're talking about here's a history just in that first chapter where they there they have to go over essentially five thousand years of history right and, <laughs> and we all know it's a desert you right. know what it starts as a beautiful lush paradise right right that's the beginning we know what it is to modern a lot right. has to happen to get you there right and again you know bear in mind this is not necessarily and they tell us this in the book here but you know bears repeating this is not necessarily meant to be a true and accurate and you know this isn't necessarily supposed to be the history book of cairo this is the world of darkness perspective of it and and also you know we as human beings today are not 100 percent sure on the history of cairo 
we're not 100% sure on the history of when things were built. So that's, a, that's an important thing to keep in mind. And, and why? If someone's going to say, no, I can research it. I can see what's going on. I can see what's there. Let me, let me curb that. Mm-hmm. Um, when somebody wins a war, the winners write the details. Any yes. historian will tell you that. Right. And that's why when we find a dig site, we spend so much effort to actually find out what, how, and when. Right. Because that's important. Right. Right. So cultures moving forward. And no, we don't know the full picture. No. A lot of it is assumptive, but logical deduction is used. And that is by people way more educated than me. Or right. Nate. Right. Right. And, and that's that's the important key to remember. We are reviewing this book and we're reviewing the, this book is how you go forth and run Cairo in the world of darkness. Right. Remember that key important fact. World of darkness, not necessarily real world. You know, it to me, this reads like, man, they did a lot of research. Oh, yeah. You know, hey, maybe you uh, maybe you have a different perspective and that's cool. Run it your way. But this is the book. And um, I'm pleased with the research they've done. Quite pleased. Another yeah. unique thing about this book. It's a by night book that relatively sticks to vampires only. Right. It gives a huge breath. There are some nods, some right. mentions. Right. Well, that's because uh, from what I understand, they there there's also another book. Uh, like a werewolf uh, book yes. f- that that takes place in the same location. Now, um, we may or may not have read that, but we didn't for this podcast because, again, it's not imperative to what this podcast is, which is Vampire the Masquerade. Uh, so to back up the point, that 5,000 years of history, I think you guys will enjoy it like me. I don't know if you did, Nate. Mm-hmm. I'll stick to the guy who was relatively in the same room, well, at least electronically, <laughs> right. uh, to what we went through. When I was reading it, I liked the way they described the era of the gods. Right. They were, they were beings that slept during the hot of the day and just came out at night to teach man how to come out of the dust, right. how, to, how to behave and domesticate and be of peace and diplomacy, and really just educated us how to not be mud people. Yeah, and they, <laughs> they, they basically, they wanted to impress upon us that, like, essentially, this is a vampire city, right? Like, these vampires have been here since frickin' whenever, and gods, vampires, it doesn't matter. It's a place where, you know... To, to reference our earlier statement, it's magic kid. Right. And, and even, even saying it's magic kid, they're like, no way. Yeah, but nah, because <laughs> right. we, we showed them how to build these, you know, they taught us how to build the temples and the smooth structures. And we all know about, was it ancient history or what have you crazy guy with the, the hair and, and aliens, aliens and whatnot. Yeah. Believe what you believe what you like. I enjoy watching that show and then reading this book and liking the kind of head nod. Right to a lot of the assumptions and theories that are out there, as apparently the ancient Egyptians straight up state, "Nah, we were taught this by some ancient dead gods." Right, they're badass. They came out, and showed us how to be. We built these pyramids. That was where they slept. Right, pimp. Right, and and it's like, oh, that's awesome. You know, that comes through. But then they go through that. Okay, now that they do this, they answer a question that was left open in the book and not. If you see, if you recall it when you read it, Nate, because I was like, aha, here you go. You and I had said somewhere we read. Mm-hmm. There was there was way more than you know just the three original third gen, right? Right. That was that there was there was our excuse me uh, the second, the second gen. gen. There was yeah. more, and indeed there was. Right. It talks about the fact that in this book that there were more second gen. They let on some left, some died. Who knows what happened to them? It's not what this is about. We're discussing the thirteen they ruled. Right. Right. That we know that they ruled over, and of how Cain cursed them. Cain didn't curse them with a dramatic, huge curse. Screw you. You'll have all these problems. He did it by saying your children will turn your knives upon you. Right. Their knives upon you for what you do. Because Cain gave them one rule. I made you, right? And that's it. I, I, have, I, I screwed up. I shouldn't have made you, and I did. And look what you're doing. You took right, all these people right. out of their happiness 
and you showed them all this technology and all this stuff, and they're now worshiping you as a god. There is only one god, and this ends badly for you. And the second chamber, like, yeah, whatever. What's the worst they can do? <laughs> right. Uh, right. Well, and, you know, it probably started off very calm and collected, like, oh, of course, Kane, you're totally right. And then, you know, he's gone for four, five, six years, and they're like, eh, oh, you know, it couldn't hurt to get one. <laughs> right. <laughs> but then I like how that happens, right? Because when they're like, it wouldn't hurt to get one, and you're right. But what does the second gen do? They staunchly obeyed Cain like it was the word from on high. Mm-hmm. And when you made it, they killed the third gen right. and the chill they made immediately lockstep, right. which as the Chronicle writes, he goes, which inevitably means the world war is coming. Right. You don't just kill people and their children for doing the crime you yourself did before they're like, eh, one second here. Right. <laughs> and when that happens, he goes, we had a lush jungle. And all I will tell you is that there was such power waged and used that it sapped the life from from Cairo and, and inevitably Egypt in the area. It made a desert out of a paradise. And to me, I'm a fan of Dark Sun. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Dark Sun was the shit. Yeah. And it reminded me of the same history, right? Where it's like, you know, the ancient rulers had a paradise and they sapped it with magic and blah blah blah. It's gone. And I was like, okay, cool. So now we're tying some other genres to this a little bit. You know, that you can kind of take a hold of in, in Egypt as well. The one thing they state is that when, when that land gets destroyed and whatnot and those that warring happens, um, Set was the last addition to the third or excuse me, to the um, original thirteen. Right? He was the last one to come after Hakim of the third gen. And they point that out, which makes that weird, right? Only because Set is allegedly such a manipulator, such a corrupter. Um, even Egypt calls him the father of lies, but not because of, he was such. It's because he's he's so many history, right? So many different versions. Some say he was this powerful, devout warrior with shock of red hair that was unbeatable and served Ra dutifully, battling Apep, uh, the devourer, which is the one who wants to eat the sun and bathe the world in eternal darkness. And others say that Set was basically a, a sorcerer warrior, and his job was to serve Apep to overthrow Ra so he can usurp power for himself. Yet others point out that if he was here to assert power for himself, he had it. Why did he leave? If, if Seth conquered like he did and stayed, he, he wouldn't have lost. He wouldn't have been usurped. It doesn't make sense. And so because they can't describe one way or another, it bears note that they all agree, almost unquestionably, that Set was the last to join the third gen. And after the warring happened, then he came back, which leave others to believe that did he corrupt the others into this process and a great, aha, got you with my plan. Or was this simply set left because he left, and while he was gone, he got embraced, like the assumption is, i.e., while he was out, there was some random second gen that was chilling and made set, and then set came back, adding a theory that there might be a second gen running around somewhere who doesn't participate in crap, and to his own ends, no one knows. Right. That's a great gem that they threw in here for that. Now, do we take it as canon? It's in the book. Yeah, but it's from a vampire chronicler. So take it with a grain of salt, like all things you read in that capacity. Right. And also, you know, take it from the perspective of, well, you know, maybe I'll I'll stay absolutely 100% true to this in my game, or maybe I won't. And that's the beauty part about this particular city book. Going through here, especially when we move on to the next chapter, we start to see the sheer size of what this city looks like. And, you know, to me, like... It is, we, we reviewed Mexico City, and Mexico City's huge, right? Mexico City's this vast Sabat uh, stronghold, and 
this is pretty much like like two, three, four times the size, you know, just, just overall, like we're talking like cities and cities. And if you've ever seen any, any movies or any kind of like modern works that take place there, like this is a place where it's just movement constantly. It's just constant movement and it's crazy. And, and so to me, this is especially, you know, like I said, we, we get into the, this next chapter, like it is beyond uh, just your standard typical, uh, uh, city, like, you know, the, the, the actual geography of this place, there's so many different neighborhoods and like little, like micro cities and, and like the, uh, like Elysium huge. Like there's, there's so the list, right? Right. It is a, it is a veritable litany of locations and, and, um, their Elysium is, uh, it's interesting it's essentially like places where we want to keep vampires to the strict adherence of the masquerade. And we want to keep violence to a zero because of the masquerade. These are your Elysium, right? These are places where they're protected. And, you know, for, I would say, uh, obvious reasons, like this is an ancient city with, uh, you know, very powerful, uh, human monuments. Can we just say, yeah, you do not mess with Islam. Right. It's that simple. Why you keep the masquerade? They do not play. Right. If you're going to be a vampire running around eating people, you are of evil. They are coming, and they don't care what happens to them when they decide to take up that fucking cross. Well, bad term, but take up that faith to go at you and bring it to the the offender. And that is a very real fear for Mukhtar Bay, right? Sitting here ruling it, but it's cool. They talk about radiating faith from mosque and mamans, if I'm pronouncing that right. And uh, they have they have it all over the place. And I love the layout. They give you a book layout where it's like every corner, there's right. a mosque for the people to practice their right. faith. It's huge. It's awing to even think about. When I was looking at Cairo itself in real, and you see that it's not off the mark, right? right? That's that's like the thing, and it's very cool to look at. You know, uh, for a contrast, you can look at what Rome does with the the Vatican City. Mm-hmm. Kind of the same awing effect. Like, wow, this is real. Like, you know, don't sit on grandma's furniture. That's why the plastic's on it type thing. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. Step lightly, in other words. Right. Cool effect. Um, I also, by, in, in a geek moment, mm-hmm. I was kind of jealous of the transit system. You're right. <laughs> right? They can go anywhere in their city on, on one single subway or whatever one that's going to where you need to go. You know, hitting all these stops. And I was like, that's kind of cool. That's kind of cool. Now, this lets everybody know that I clearly haven't lived directly in the city for any length of time because naturally every city's built that way, right. sort of. But I've always gotten annoyed with Chicago's transit system because there's shortcuts through delays and blah, blah, blah. And I'm sure it happens in Cairo. But it just looked like I wouldn't, if a player like me struggles with understanding geography and right. memorizing it, it was right. like, what's so hard? It's north to south along the Nile. Right. Here's, here's some rail systems. No, but you know, it's, it's a huge, it's a huge, a bunch of settlements. And, and what I could say is we, we get about a week to read these books, right? We get a week to read through them, to digest them, to be able to review them. And you know, in 99 out of a hundred circumstances, that's not a problem. This is a book that, um, we're, we're able to both, I think we're able to read and absorb, but to really understand Cairo, when you sit down, storyteller, you're gonna you're you're gonna want to give yourself a couple of weeks to fully digest this book and what what is in it because it I mean it's just a huge place. There's just so much, so many different places with so many different feels and and uh, it's just 
the diversity here is obvious and intense. And then we get to chapter three. And chapter three talks about all of those little um, varying communities that we have kind of touched on, right? It talks about both the communities of the damned, the different political and religious ideologies, and of the mortal. And looking at the communities, I mean, one of the things is I can't stop reading this. I'm actually probably going to keep rereading this for a while. Uh, admittedly, I had a bias to anything that wasn't the United States yeah. when it came to vampire. Just because in our era when we went up, my game for focus was 10 years in Chicago. I didn't need to read anything else city-wise. I had read the books because often people get inspired by a by night book or another book. They want to bring that in. I read enough to get by. Right. Rereading this, I was like, I remember reading it, but I did not have the maturity I have now, which made it a joy. Right. And to go through here and actually read what, you know, what some of Islam is about and start doing that and how it relates to the book and how they blended it and the different communities and how vampires, like there's a weird coexistence almost that they have with the mortals. Like they're, because like Nate said, when you talk about heritage areas that have like auto acknowledgement, they literally mean that right. if you're an ascendant of Saladin, um, that's, that's awesome. There's a place for you, whether you embrace whatever clan and you know what, all you have to do is prove you're of the blood. You know, their bloodline, I guess we should say, but not vampirically blood. I mean, right. it's great that you're a vampire now, but, you know, who are you from? And that one of your distant relatives could recognize you. Right. I see my cousin in your eyes. Of course, you're welcome home. Welcome. And bring you in. That's humbling. That's uh, that's immersive. Like, because what's what's it like in the States? We don't own shit in the States. In the United States, it's the land of the Native Americans. Well, and we yeah, know that history. Yeah, right. And and I think that's a very important thing to to present that like this 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 country that we live in, it's less than three hundred years old, right? right? There there are factions in the city who are led by vampires who are over eight hundred years old, who have members that are almost three thousand years old. Right. right. So they don't care about your Johnny Come Lately United States. Right. The, the political situation in the world, it, this is like a drop in the bucket for them. So it's definitely a different type of tale you're going to be telling. And what's cool about it is you're going to get into history. You have to, right. to tell a tale out of it. You got to know about the different caliphates and what they did and the different twists to following Islam. You know, they're not of the same. You know, they, there's rifts that split based on the descendants of uh, Muhammad. Right. And that's that's important to know because you don't want to get that shit wrong. And right. even in the parts of culturally what you deal with, there there will be mortals who might trade with vampires openly. There may be mortals who have an idea that that guy's not the same, or maybe even that he might be a vampire. But they're over five thousand years they've been here. Right. Someone somewhere had to have told people, especially merchants. Guess what? At night you will get many visitors with lots of money. Take the money. Be respectful. All will work out. You know something like that and it just puts tons of story in my head on just going through it right absolutely. of how cool those little moments would be right and and i think that um i'll i'll be i'll admit too when this book came out and i was presented with this book i did like the the flip through right like you know let's go look at what kind of characters are in here and i looked at them and i was like this is crazy and i just kind of discarded it right because i again like you i'm familiar with my geographic region i'm familiar with the game that we run and we play here and the other stuff i don't really care about right not too many of my games are ever going to go there and also what what occurred was a lot of the things that fit into this world 
didn't make a lot of sense to me. Now, I'm not going to admit like, you know, I'm wrong about anything. (laughs) (laughs) But what I will tell you is things that don't make sense in a Chicago by night or, you know, in a in a Denver, Colorado or in a Los Angeles, things that don't make sense because they don't fit with the theme of of that location or that geographical you know, uh, political ideology. It seems that this book is kind of where you, you would fit them. So I would say, you know, if someone came up to me now and they said, I want to play a true Bruja, I'd say, I'm not running a game out of Cairo. (laughs) Right. Right. That's, that's what my answer would be. And if I am, all right, well, you know, let's think about it because like, this is that kind of place where there's ancient secrets. There's so many different things that should like really turn you on as a storyteller to tell a compelling and different story, right? For instance, there is a vampire in print in here who has Golconda. Right. Off the bat, he's on, he's on Golconda. If you want to see it, you can get an idea how to build it. I know people would ask what that would look like. You get to see the crunch spread for it, read about what he's, what he's into and what he's about. And that's, that's a cool thing. That's like the tip of the spear compared to the rest of what is in here. I mean, there's tons of different builds, ways. Right. I feel that this dug deep because this is when the passion of building a by night book, I think really came into its own. Right. right. Because every section is almost like its own mini city with, with ways culturally it's built and how people get around. And when you go and visit your coterie mates, or if it's a live action setting, when you represent uh, the, the area you're from, um, you have tons to talk about on a local basis. Right. No, not just your personal plot. Absolutely. And that's, that's the other thing too. Um, it's, it's four chapters before we get into actually talking about the vampires. And, um, it seems like, uh, maybe there, there is a certain, I, I feel like they probably did it for a reason, but it seems to me, um, there was a, like upon first going through it, it, it was like they were a little disorganized. Right. But that's not true. Like they actually, arrange them based on where they where they reside so like your first location is free cairo and these are just kindred that reside in free cairo and then uh your second location is um i think uh unless i'm unless i'm skipping ahead a little too far it's uh banu duval right and that's the location so um that that's the other thing too not only do you have to get comfortable with geography and history but you also have to get comfortable with the language and it's uh it's a lot of work right it's a definitely a lot of work but um yeah i'm just gonna i'm gonna level with you here you're going to see things that are on a power level that are well well beyond um what most people experience not only that but you're (laughs) you're gonna get access to like bob said a character that's uh, on Golconda, you're going to see things that are unique to this book, uh, disciplines or uh, pathometurgy, like the soul of the serpent. Like these are things that you're not going to find in other books. You're not going to find anywhere else. And to me, this is the only place that really makes sense. I mean, and what I love about this, this is one of the places, if you're a fan of Jihad, the card game, you're going to see some of the people on those cards here in this book. Right. One of them being Antara, often thought to be a person you couldn't find anywhere in the books. Yes, in Cairo. Antara, Shepherd, Antara, Shepherd of the Wolves. He's here. Uh, a famous assassin, for those who don't know. Uh, great in-depth story, uh, clearly well-written. And it helps you keep that love of the game. 
attaching like White Wolf loves to do throughout its product. Right, right. So, um, yeah, going through here, um, you know, again, in, in these characters, there are a ton of characters and a lot of them are uh, very distinctly high power level. And uh, there's even there's even the Sabat. And it's it's an interesting, weird, um, different kind of perspective, again, with this with a powerful prince that kind of keeps everything keeps all the plates spinning. There's even a consistent sort of um, representation by the Sabat. There isn't like an active war, but then there is a pack of Sabat who bristle against the bishop. So there's a bishop in the city as well. So everybody's represented here. It's a very multicultural sort of melting pot of a city. And to and to address that, why it's very simple. If you're thinking, how can they do that? Why would they do that? People are used to the vanilla version of Sabat. Right. We're always in a crusade. We are the players. We were embraced to go to war. That's great. You're just starting out. You're learning what a pack is and how to high five each other in public without being obvious that you're in a spot pack. Great. We'll do that. Not downplaying it. Everybody starts somewhere. This is that high brow level, right. which is we predate the sex. Okay. Right. So if there's a Lissandra here and you dare to tell him what he must and must not do, be prepared to reap the whirlwind. Right. He is in charge there in front of you, the visiting Sabat, and he has the power by right of bloodline from his area, supported right. by his own descendants right. uh, to just see you gone. So, and backed by a Camarilla Prince, well, he's Camarilla Prince in name only. Remember, Mukhtar Bey sits up there because the Camarilla can't do anything about him. Right. Better to have him a member of the Camarilla than not, you know. Exactly. And they, and they say it's the strength of Cairo. That's why everybody's permitted to go there. Right. So, right. but near clear, they say that's why there's a frustrated Sabat pack. We want to bring that dogma here to a city of ancients and see them purge. Well, we can't. <laughs> That's what it comes down to. Everything is <laughs> right. said, we can't do it. Sorry. Right. right. We, we, we would love to. There's just, uh, we can't. We don't know who this dude is. That guy. Someone's Uncle Conda. We have to kill him. Our path demands it. Yeah, go for it. I'll even run the game. It'll be great. One, one shot. That's a good what? Weekend? <laughs> right, right. It doesn't end well for you, but I'll run it. Like, we, we can see what your big shot is. And it's not me talking smack is pointing out that you can do a team of Archons go in to remove Mukhtar Bay. You can do a group of Templars getting together to try to seize uh, the city and all its secrets. That's great stuff. But those type of games, there's only one way I ever see them going. Well, because I, when you yeah, read the book. Yeah. I, I like to think of it with the same dread as like any kind of Lovecraftian tale, right? Like this is a place where the history of it is intrinsically tied to the followers of Set. It is, it is inhabited by incredibly powerful ancient cults and religious sects and call out, brother. and there are there are there are, like these are the the tombs these are the secret like the, you you go digging man you go to egypt right <laughs> you, <laughs> you're gonna go into a tomb and you're gonna find some ancient powerful tool you're you know the the end of times rests here and those are some of the concepts that they're really going to hammer home in your the chapter about storytelling, right? These are all these are all things that you need to read for yourself. And this is the place, you know, again, I had a great idea of reading this book where I thought, wouldn't it be awesome to run a chronicle that's mixed, right? Some people from Cairo uh, serving maybe Beckett, who's mm-hmm. tied to the camera, letting him know, hey, just so you know, we've seen in Kindu the Noah. He's over here in Cairo. We don't know why. Right. Meanwhile, the plot is in Kindu the Noah was called the Typhonian beast was 
to get to the riddle of the Sphinx to answer the fucking riddle that brings setback for a perfect end to a chronicle written about Gehenna to show what would happen when that, that occurs right? or the players can stop it. Either way, it gives reason why someone would be chasing a red, a red listed member across the oceans to come to this place, get involved with this book and have to deal with all that. That's a, that's an ultimate long time chronicle, even if you want to get into it. Right. And that's, that's a testament to the writing of the book. Right. It, it is to me, uh, you can see both the extremes in faith and um, you can see that in the all the different uh, places of worship in Cairo and how many of them exude uh, ambient faith. But then uh, you have the, the corruptors, you know, you have some of the most terribly corrupt entities of all time. And it's all it's all in this one place. And, and you know, it's, it's one of, go ahead. They're not all Sedites. Right. No. Right. Here's I love this book. Destroy stereotypes. If you're thinking the baddest of the bad all come from the Middle East and it's only the Asamites, wrong. If you're thinking that you know the La Sombra only loves Spain, wrong. Right. You know that there's no history. It's it's just you're you're not getting the picture. And what's what we always love when we say it's a game open to everyone. This city embodies that. And right. when you check that out, and when you really read it, you start getting the terms, the stuff we like to discuss. Right. And that White Wolf, I feel, did a good job keeping open. Right. Um, and yeah, so you're going to have a ton more of the storytelling stuff in this book. Um, but I think uh, basically that's about the extent of this review. I mean, without actually literally diving into this book, um, you know, you're, you're really going to miss out on what this book has to offer. So I'll, I'll, I'll tell you like this, this, uh, this is something that you said as well. Um, my plan is the next, uh, game that I run or perhaps the next game that I plan is this Cairo game, right? I, I want to, you know, you'd said the same thing. Like that's, that's Word. the next thing that you want to run. And, and I got to admit, you know, this is now reviewing this book and going back, uh, you know, 20, you know, 18 years later, 17 years later and rereading this book with uh, much more adult mature eyes like this to me, this is, um, this is one of those hidden gems. This is one I really didn't understand and I didn't really care for at the time, but it's really opening up a host of possibilities and really interesting and deeply complex political stories and also just really horrifying stuff that, that you can do with it. I mean, when we talk about horrifying, I'll just mention one thing. The Sleeping Lord, Maiden of Plagues, fifth generation follower of Set, Chilled of the Scorpion King. I mean, if you're into those things. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So, so you can tell uh, a truly terrifying story. And again, uh, I'm not saying I like them or particularly care for them, but those really uh, off the beaten path kind of concepts, the, the daughters of cacophony, the <clears throat> true bruja, this is a place for them. This is a place where it makes a lot more sense. As much as it pains me to say yes. That that's this is the place where I most likely would give you fifteen minutes to live as a true bruja, <laughs> right? Just just let it happen, right? That's that's the place. You wanna you wanna try your hand at like Path of the Scorched Heart? I might be willing to let you try. It makes more sense here than it does in like you know Indianapolis, Indiana. That's all I'm right. saying. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you don't think the Hoosiers can hold it down and scorched heart? You know, Come I'm on. not. I'm not saying they can't. I'm just saying, having been here, it doesn't seem like it would make a lot of sense. That's all. You know, I'm sure Fair. the people that play here, 
they they would kick its kick its butt. But I'm gonna go back in time using Temporis to forget I said Hoosier. <laughs> I'm not certain I said it correct, but you I'm did. hoping that you is did. Where it was okay. Good. Yeah, yeah, you did. Well, as 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 correct as I can say it. Next week we are going to be reviewing State of Grace. Uh, which actually is a book I know uh, virtually nothing about. I'll be reading it and and uh, reviewing it with a um, with with open eyes, with uh, with virgin eyes, scorched, burning, virgin eyes. It's a state of grace, people. Yeah, I don't know anything about it, so uh, I'm going to be looking at it and opening it and reading it for the first time, and uh, I'll give you my my unabashed, um, off the cuff review of what that book is, and then uh, coming up after that we have. The awesome Kane's chosen the black hand in uh, a couple of weeks. A um, book we'll battle over talking on. Yeah, absolutely. I already know we will. Absolutely. So, book what would you say? Um, you know, just to wrap this up, um, I would say this book is uh, definitely an A plus. It's an awesome book. I think that there is a lot of work that was done in here. It's very complex. Um, what would you? Uh, what would your final word be on this book? It's the only book I give an A plus, to be honest, is a by night book. Um, there's not a single thing wrong I could see in this book. Any book that gets me to just constantly have to pause to want to take notes or look something up to want to build more plot and to add things that I don't even care my players find. Just it's fun to write my story for. Right. That's this book. Yeah. And uh, I would agree with you. I would say, um, uh, you know, maybe there are flaws that we are not perceptive enough to pick up on, but I don't see any. I think that they busted hump doing this book and you know of course if you have any comments go to our website you know go to our twitter and you know let us know engage us but uh i i think when you have the time to dedicate to a game in a location that's completely different to what you're used to running take a month or two and really get into this book understand the language learn it and then sit down and run an epic game uh unlike any you've ran before and if you're thinking, I'm not a storyteller, I don't have to worry about running a game, I'm going to tell you as a player, you all you players love to be elders and want to be elders. You want to learn how to build an elder and thread them through a story and tell a story of an elder without it being 15 pages? Read the characters in this book. Yeah. And, and read this book. Get it and see how they add to what's going on and are not just an island unto themselves of their life. Yeah. And the purpose that they find even now in the modern going forward. Or at least 1990s as this is in. Right. 2001, excuse me. Right. Uh, you know, and of course you can take this book, uh, change this book with how things have changed in the, the current era and, uh, you know, represent it. But, uh, anyways, other than that, great book, definitely worth a buy, definitely worth many reads and, uh, worth running a game out of. So, uh, without further ado until next week, I am Nathan and I'm Bob and yes, the rock is the scorpion king. <laughs> All right. Take it easy, folks. We'll talk to you again soon.
secure your necessary muffin repository by visiting us at utilitymuffinlabs.com, on Facebook at Utility Muffin Labs, on Twitter at 25 Years of VTM, or Utility Muffins, all one word, on Instagram at Utility Muffin Labs, one word. Support the labs on Patreon at patreon.com slash 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade, and finally, adorn your human form with our t-shirts at tpublic.com slash users slash Utility Muffin Labs. Utility Muffin Labs, think homogenous.